Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. to quiz you guys today in light of what we've been covering, and we'll see where we're at. Is that okay? Yeah, All right. No, that's not okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it will be, I will try, and I'll help you guys out, so it will be okay. So, um, as we look at the sanctuary, um, we've been looking at a few aspects of it in reformatory movements of destiny. So, does anyone remember... Where God said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8, this is where you find the text. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now, according, how did Moses know what to make the sanctuary like? Right, so there's, that means there's a sanctuary in heaven. That's right, right? Now, on earth, who officiated in the sanctuary? What do we call them? Priest or priest or high priest, right? Depending on what the actual service was. And in the New Testament, who would be the priest? Jesus Christ, right? He's officiating up there for us. Now, the first, com- the first section of the sanctuary, what do we call it? Courtyard, right? The second part of the sanctuary, what do we call it? Holy place. And the third part of the sanctuary, what do we call it? Most holy place, all right? And so as we've been looking at this, we saw that there were two major articles as it concerns the sanctuary. We covered the aspect that Christ was the originator of the Jewish systems of worship, and that includes the sanctuary. Now, in light of that statement... We went over the sanctuary, and we saw that there were these compartments. Now, what was the two, the two articles in the courtyard? That's right, the labor of washing. You guys got it. You see, it's, it's good. It's good, right? We are getting it. We're together. We're all together. So, as we looked at that last time, and I believe that was last week, right? As we looked at this subject... Um, we saw that the altar of burnt sacrifice, and thank you so much once again, Brother Jerry, we saw that the altar of sacrifice in which the lamb was placed after it was slain, the fat of the lamb was burned up in this altar. What did we find out that altar represented in the New Testament? The cross, the sacrifice of Christ. And who is, this, who, 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 is, who is the lamb? Jesus Christ, who was sacrificed on the cross for us. Now, the next part we saw is the labor of washing. And we found out that's also symbolizing something that Jesus did. What is that which he did even before he was crucified? Baptism, right? So the labor of washing is a symbol of baptism. It was a symbol that Christ was baptized as an example for us. 
He went through that situation of purification. Now, did Jesus need to be purified? No. No. But he was doing it as an example for us that as we come to God and experience conversion, the outward manifestation and public declaration that we have already been experiencing conversion is that now we publicly declare it by baptism, right? Baptism into the faith. And so as we've been looking at this, we've been realizing that, wow, although those things happened, there, was, there were major groups in Jesus' day that were against Jesus' ministry. And does anyone remember like what one of those groups were? The religious leaders, the Pharisees, right? There's another one of them I failed to um, mention last week. There's the Sadducees, right? Okay, so you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were they had serious animosity against the ministry of Jesus Christ. They hated what he was doing, and so they tried to fight against him. And you remember the theology that they were teaching the people that the Messiah would be a military leader. He won't die. I mean, Messiah dying? This is this is against what we teach, right? But Jesus was trying to show them, I will die. Over and over, you remember, he would tell his disciples, I'm going to die and rise on the third day. Now, did they accept it? No. And so hence, the enemy of souls was trying to blot out the symbolism behind the altar of sacrifice, which means Jesus would die for our sins, right? To deliver us from sin's power and penalty. And not only that, the enemy caused people to hate John the Baptist ministry, which was pointing forward to what article? The laver of washing, symbol of baptism, right? So we saw this as we looked at the compartments of the sanctuary, the courtyard. Now today we're going to come to the holy place, but before we get there, we saw the altar, we saw the laver, and then we saw the movements that God raised up in order to protect those articles, The ministry of John the Baptist, ministry of purification, and the ministry of Jesus also protected those articles. Did that make sense last week? All right, praise the Lord. And so as we looked at these movements of Jesus and John the Baptist, they were to prepare the people for what was coming because ultimately as a result of not accepting the sacrifice of Jesus, Those who followed him when he died, how do you think they felt? Yeah, they felt betrayed. They felt disappointed. All of their hopes were shattered. Brother Russell? Lost, Lost, right? So now this is why it is not enough. I have a a situation that I'm, um, a a place where I was invited to in, in October. And one of my friends, he said to me, He said, Akeem, here's what I want you to do. This is a a big camp meeting they're going to have. And he's like making it after after the the Old Testament 12 tribes of Israel. And he said, Akeem, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to memorize all of Numbers chapter 13. And I was like, whoa, bro, this is the first time. Somebody has ever asked me to memorize an entire chapter of the Bible. Now, I know different texts and, you know, you memorize certain texts to fight against temptation. You memorize texts to stand for the truth, of course. 
but an entire chapter is like another level, right? So I was like, okay, okay, okay. So yesterday, I mean, Thursday, I was flying. Actually, Sunday, I was flying out last Sunday, and I was just memorizing. And that was what kept me from focusing on the turbulence in that plane. And then I'm coming back, and I'm memorizing it. And finally, praise God, I got through 11 verses. <laughs> so finally, I praised the Lord. I got off the plane, and as soon as I had Wi-Fi, I texted the guy. I was like, brother, I got 11 verses down. And he texted me back. He said, praise the Lord. But even as I was memorizing it, I was thinking, I must make sure that I see Jesus in these things, right? Because the scribes and the Pharisees, they had almost the entire Old Testament memorized. Yet they missed Jesus. That's scary. That's scary stuff. You can know the whole Bible and still miss the God who inspired that scripture, those scriptures. So Jesus Christ came and we looked at his earthly ministry in the courtyard. Now today, we're going to go into the next compartment. So this was the courtyard ministry. What was the next compartment? The holy place, right? So now we're going into the holy place. And as we enter the holy place today, what we're going to do, we're going to look at the articles and the spiritual significance it has for us. And then next time, in the next portion, when I preach the next time, we're going to look at the movement that rose up against these articles and how God preserved them. Now, friends, that's going to be an intense subject So I pray that you prayerfully anticipate that day. Ask God, as I had to ask God when I first found these things out, Lord, prepare my heart that I might receive the truths of your word as it is even laid out in history. And so we're going to come to that at another time, but we're going to study the holy place today and what it means for us. So the first article in the holy place, one of the first articles that you'll see is this article. Does anyone know what that's called? Right, the lampstand, right? The seven-branch candlestick. And so as you enter there, what the priest would do is he would put oil in those seven parts to keep the fire burning that they would light to illuminate the entire sanctuary. And I want you to go with me in your Bibles. We're not going to read all of those verses, but take it down for your reference. Exodus chapter 25, verses 31 to 40. It shows us there that the, the, the lampstand was one of those articles in the holy place. And I'm just going to read a portion of it, and we're going to get to what it really symbolizes. That w- that's what we really want to focus on today. But we're going to start off reading there. Exodus chapter 30, Exodus chapter 25, and we're going to read starting from verse 31. And when you are there, say amen. Amen. All right. So this is the candlestick. All right. So it says, verse 31, and you shall make a candlestick of pure gold of beaten work. Shall the candlestick be made his shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knobs and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the side of it. That's what we're seeing on the screen. Six, three branches of the candlestick out of one side and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. 
three bowls made like unto almonds with knobs and a flower in one branch and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch and a knob and a flower. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick and in the candlestick shall be four bowls. This is for the oil made like unto almonds with their knobs and their flowers. So as we look at this, skip down to verse 37, and you shall make the seven lamps. There's one in the middle, one more in the middle. It says, and you shall make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps, that they may give light over against it, and the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof, shall be of what element? Pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. And look that you make them after their pattern. You remember, where was the pattern? In heaven. Which was showed you on the mount. So this is powerful what we're seeing here. So we're seeing this candlestick. And you have six, three on one side and three on the other side. And up the middle, you have one there. And they would make bowls. And in those bowls would go the oil, and then they would light that, those candles, those seven branches. And it would give light to the entire sanctuary for the entire night, and even for the entire day, because it was covered, right? It was covered with skins. Now, the question is, what does this symbolize, okay? We've learned that the courtyard... Let me test you again. The courtyard symbolized what part of Jesus' ministry? Where was the courtyard fulfilled? On the cross, right? And so these things, the cross and the baptism, they were done on earth. So it symbolizes Jesus' earthly ministry. Now question, can anyone take a guess? Where did Jesus go when he left his disciples for the last time? He went to heaven. Any specific part of heaven? Right, to the sanctuary in heaven. Now, how do we know that? I need a volunteer to read for us. All right, Brother Bobby, can you read Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2? Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Where did Jesus go when he ascended from earth? He, he went among his disciples for 40 days teaching them, instructing them, and then finally, I want you to picture this in your mind, he leads them to a certain place. And then as he's giving them the great commission, what's happening to him? He's ascending. Can you imagine that in your minds? That must have been mind-blowing. As he's going up, he's saying, it's almost like a movie, right? He's like... Go be therefore. You can picture it in your mind, right? Like a, like a film. He's giving them the last words. And he's saying, as I ascend, you must go forth. And I'll be doing a work while you're going out. I'll be doing a work somewhere else. Now, where is that somewhere else? In heaven, right? And then, all right, Brother Bobby, you can go ahead and read yours. Said, now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle 
which the Lord fits and not man. Oh, thank you for reading that. So we're seeing that when Jesus went to heaven, where did he specifically go? Into the sanctuary, the tabernacle that is in there. You know, it's amazing, friends. Before I was really serious about Jesus, from 2005 backward, I used to go to church all the time. But I never, my mother made sure, and that's part of the reason why, because my mother and my father, they made sure that even though, yes, we were going to church, we were going to this uh, non-denominational um, church, they made sure I would go every single Sunday, I would be there. They said, Akeem, as tired as I was, they said, son, it's time to get up, let's go to church. And I would be groggy, I would be rebellious, but I would make sure I got up and I got ready and we went. And it was, it was a, a blessing. God was with us there. He was reaching us where we were. But one of the things that blew my mind is in 2005, when through my best friend, I came to truly learn of Jesus and of his love before I realized I was a, a nominal Christian. This is why, friends, it's amazing what God can do to the human heart. When I was from 2005 backward, when it was time to go to church, even though I did it, I did it as a duty. I didn't really want to go to church. <laughs> but I know in a Caribbean household, you do not say no, all right? <laughs> so I said, Mom, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to be ready, and, and I'm going to be on time, and we're going to be on time. So I got ready, and we went. But friends, I didn't really anticipate going to church. But I tell you the truth, from 2005 onward, when I transitioned from being a nominal Christian to an actually converted Christian, God changing my heart, it is a joy for me to know that I'm going to see your faces every Sabbath. It is a joy for me to actually know Saturday is coming and I'm going to actually get the privilege of going to church. And my mom always reminds me, she said, son, I instilled it in you. I made sure it was done, and God did the rest. God did the rest. That which I could not do, I tried my best, but I knew even my best would fall short, and God would do the rest. And so, friends, now one of the things I learned was not only about the Sabbath, but I learned that peculiar to this very movement is the message of the sanctuary. Now, friends... Is the sanctuary necessarily locked down to a movement or is it in the Bible? It's in the Bible. And so that's why my mind was blown that when Jesus ascended, it's not that he just went to heaven. He went to a certain place in heaven to continue his work for us. He went to the truth tabernacle, the sanctuary in heaven, which the Lord pitched, not Moses, not man. And so as I looked at this, I realized, okay, so then in order to understand what's happening in the heavenly sanctuary, what must I then study? The earthly. That's why the Old Testament is so crucial. Sometimes we, you hear people going into churches today. There's a, a man I love listening to, um, and uh, I'll say, I won't say his name, but his son, this man, powerful minister in practical preaching. But his son actually came on in one of his sermons. And his son actually said, his son being a pastor as well, and you guys can probably see this in many churches today. 
his son actually said, guys, the Old Testament is for people of old. (laughs) He said, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. What we need is to be what kind of Christians? Can anyone guess? New Testament Christians. Now, friends, is that accurate? No. Because in order to understand the the, the explanations of the new, what do you have to have? You have to have the old, right? You have to have what? The basics, right? You have to have a basis upon which to work with. And that basis is the Old Testament. This is why we must appreciate the entirety of Scripture. The Old and the New Testament, one explaining the other. I tell you the truth. When Jesus was preaching, he was preaching. I'm going to test you guys. He was preaching the New Testament. No. Yeah, he was preaching the Old Testament. That's the only Bible he had. The Old Testament was all he had. When Paul and the apostles were preaching and laying out at that time the New Testament, where were they deriving their stuff from? The Old Testament. So we need the old and the new. Now, as we look at the old, we're finding out in the sanctuary, in the holy place, where Jesus entered into in heaven, we find that just as in the earthly, so in the heavenly, there was a lampstand, a seven-branch candlestick. Now, in John chapter 8 and verse 12, I need another volunteer for us. Who do we have? All right, thank you. So John chapter 8 and verse 12, let's see what this symbolizes. What does this symbolize, this article mean? Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Thank you for reading that. So we're seeing here that Jesus Christ says that he is the what? Light of the world. So therefore, when we look at this seven-branch candlesticks that illuminated the sanctuary, it is a symbol pointing us to the one who is the very light, not just of the sanctuary, that illuminates our minds. It says, I believe it's Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So Jesus Christ, being the word incarnate, he is our light. And we must see, the only way that we can see spiritually is through that light as he illuminates our minds. So the lampstand is a symbol of Jesus, but not just Jesus. Jesus also said, speaking of the church, you and I, you are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick that it might give light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. So as men see Christ's life reflected in you, what does it lead to them doing? Glorifying God. So this lampstand is a symbol of Jesus. And it is a symbol of us in this room who are called to reflect the light of Christ, even his perfect life through his power. Now, the next article is the table of shoe bread. We, uh, you have for the reference Exodus 25 verses 23 to 30. 
And I'm going to tell you what this means in John chapter 6 and verse 51. So let's see in light of time, let's go to what this represents. You have the reference for Exodus 25 verses 23 through 30. But I want you to turn with me in the book of John. And we're going to see what this article represents. John chapter 6 and verse 51. Now remember, the table of shoe bread had what on that table? Bread, right? <laughs> and so it had six loaves on either side, as you can see there, symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel. But not just symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel, but the bread itself symbolized what sustains Israel. Both in the Old and New Testaments. So we're in John chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 51. And when you are there, say amen. amen. John chapter 6 and verse 51 says, Jesus speaking, I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him is what? My flesh, which I give for the life of the world. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that which sustains men and women spiritually is me. I am the bread of life. In order for you to live eternally, you must continue to feast on this bread. And what is that bread? Who is that bread? Jesus. Now, question. Somebody say, okay, somebody might say, well, Akeem, okay, I get that, but that's really like figurative. Show it to me practically. How do we feast on the flesh of the Son of God? Yes. I always say this. It is as we study and take in the word on page, we are truly taking in the word made flesh. By the Bible, the spirit inspiring our minds, we internalize Jesus himself in a very spiritual sense, the spirit begins to work on our hearts. So this is what this table of shoe bread represents. The lampstand represents Jesus and the church, which are to be a light to the world. The table of shoe bread represents Jesus, the bread of life. The one who is not only our light, but the one who is our life, who sustains us spiritually. Now, lastly... We find this article here. Does anyone know what this is called? This little article at the bottom. The altar of incense. Okay. Now, when we look at this, this altar, the reference is Exodus 30 verses 7 and 8. But what it symbolizes is found in Revelation 5 and verse 8. Revelation 5 and verse 8. And if you would turn there with me in your Bibles, we're going to find out what this means. And then we're going to see how all of this ties into our spiritual life. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. And when you are there, say amen. Amen. All right. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. This is Jesus once again in the holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. John is seeing him there in the book of Revelation. And so Revelation chapter 5 takes place in the holy place of the heavenly sanctuary that we are now studying. Now look at the article. It says there in verse 8, 
And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of whom? Of the saints. All right. Now skip over to chapter 8. And we're going to look at verse 3 now. Skip over to chapter 8 and verse 3. It tells us a little more about this altar and the order or the incense or the odors. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3. It says there, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the what? Prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which is what? Before the throne. Which altar are we talking about? The altar of incense. Now we're seeing in both instances, it's connected. That order that rises, what rises with that order that comes up from the incense? The what? The prayers of the saints. Therefore, the altar of incense is a symbol of the prayers of God's people. Rising like a sweet aroma covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ to the very, if you could say it this way, to the very nostrils of God as a sweet smelling aroma. All right. So this represents the prayers of the saints. Now, what does this mean? You remember, as we, as we sum all of this up and we come to a close, remember the articles in the courtyard were what two articles? Labor and the altar of sacrifice. The labor represented? Baptism. Baptism. The, altar, uh, the altar of sacrifice represented? The cross. Now, which one came first? The altar of sacrifice, right? Now, that symbolizes what? The cross. When we come to Jesus and we enter into that sanctuary, the first thing we are introduced is to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God convicts us of sin, and then he says, there's a remedy. I can forgive you through the sacrifice of my son. Now we say, okay, I accept that sacrifice, Lord. All right, great. I want you to make now a public declaration to inspire others to make the same decision. That public declaration is baptism, the labor of washing. All right, you've done well. Now, I want you to continually grow deeper in your walk with me. Therefore, let's now enter into the holy place. Now, there's three things. If your spiritual life will be sustained, there are three major things that your life must be comprised of. It must be comprised of being a light to the world. We call that evangelism. Friends, the only way that our faith will grow deeper is as we share it. If we keep it to ourselves, that faith will die. So God wants us to share with others, not just for others, but for ourselves. But hey, it's not just evangelism, being a light to the world. The only way that I can have something to give is if I have first received. Therefore, we have the table of shoe bread, which we found out represents the word of God. So my life must not only be comprised of evangelism, 
something to share, but I must get that something to share and be spiritually sustained by the word of God itself. And then God says, it's not enough just for me to give you things. It's not just enough for me to speak to you. Friends, one of the major things that many people hate in this generation is to enter into a conversation and only one person is talking. Have you ever been in that kind of situation? You're sitting down there and it's like, man, like, I want to talk too, right? But the relationship is not growing because it's a monologue. Spiritually, friends, God doesn't work that way. Therefore, he says, I don't just want to talk to you, the word, but I want you to talk to me. That is prayer, the altar of incense. These three things, if preserved in the life, will preserve the spiritual life. But the moment that even one is missing, our spiritual life is in jeopardy. So God is saying to us in the holy place, we see what a sanctified life looks like. A holy living is to spend time in evangelism. It is to spend time in the word of God that he might give us a passion to spread the word. And that it is to spend time in prayer. Threefold aspect preserves us spiritually. Now we're going to see next time in history. These articles, just like in the courtyard, they were attacked. And I want you to stay tuned for that. But until then, this is what I want to leave us with. May we spend time with God in his word, studying that word. May we spend time with God in prayer, talking to him. And may we spend time letting others know of Jesus. It doesn't mean that you may have to, you may get time to go out on the streets, friends. But ask God right in your workplace where you are to have an influence where you are for the word. One of my friends, best friend to this day, he was studying with me theology. And then, you know, after, after that happened, after we studied in school, you know, a call didn't come to him. And so he was like, man, what do I do? No call has come for me to get an opportunity to pastor. And so he was wondering, what am I going to do? And, you know, God was leading him. It was hard for him, but God was leading him at that time to now apply to work at a certain place called, I believe it's called IBM. Have you ever heard of that? Right. It's in, I believe, Washington, D.C. So he was he applied for that and. You know, he got the job. A lot of people were saying to him, man, you've left your calling. You've left your calling. And he said, he, at first he was very hesitant. I didn't know what to think. And you know, as time went along, he entered into that workplace. And friends, it was intense. But as he studied what he was supposed to do, he continued to rise higher and higher and higher in IBM. Until one day he called me. This blew my mind. He said, Akeem, I have come so close to the people that now almost it's to the point that we're shooting now. We have one going, but we're shooting to have a Bible study on every floor of IBM. Friends, God was using him right in his workplace 
to reach the people where he was to the point that at the end of a year, at the end of one year, a lady said, Alex, she says, I want to be baptized. I want to now become a seven-day Adventist. And friends, <laughs> she came. She had to do it in secret because her husband was, had serious animosity against her becoming a seven-day Adventist and being baptized. So pastor said, no problem. She wants to give her life still. Let's move forward. And so they came together one day. Some group of, a group of people that knew her came. And she gave that public declaration and was baptized. And she came up. And friends, I stood there and I was like, wow. God can use us in ministry as we go out and we hand out tracts. And he can use us in the secular workplace to reach people there. He has people everywhere to reach people everywhere. Is that your prayer? That you can have this threefold unit of evangelism, a solid prayer life, and a life in the word? Is that your prayer, friends? That is my prayer as well. As we close, if you would bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the sanctuary, laying out for us what is crucial for our spiritual lives to sustain our spiritual life. That after we have given our lives to you, surrendered our lives and received your sacrifice, and then in turn made a public declaration by baptism, that Lord, we would continue in the faith, growing in the faith as we spread your word, as we study your word, and as we pray, spending time with you on our knees and even throughout the day, thinking of you, never ceasing to have Jesus on our minds. Do this work in our lives, Lord, for you know that it is the devil's work to hamper at least one of these things so that our spiritual life fails or becomes stagnant. But Lord, let it not be so with us. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Let all of God's people say, Amen. 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 Please look us up online at the1-80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.